Called snow. <laughs> yes, there was an awful lot of it in the um, eastern and northern Sierra last week, which happily has helped us replenish our snowpack and our reservoirs, which is where California gets a lot of its water. Right? Yep. Yep. Well, Rob and I would like to know if you'd like to come up to the you know the uh, annual snowpack measurement deal, <laughs> and that would be awesome, wouldn't it? I would. I I think that would be. Probably that's probably the funnest day of that guy's um, career. Job here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it, 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 it's a cross country ski in from you know that little hut east of Visalia and go measure the snowpack and sometimes get Jerry Brown to be on a microphone next to you with you know photo ops and you know. Um, well, Newsom, you think Newsom, really, you think really Newsom will do it? Yeah. Do you think Gavin Newsom will do it? Uh, I don't see why not. Uh, he seems like an outdoorsy kind of guy and uh, concerned about our state's water, just like Governor Brown was. Um, but, yeah, those guys, uh, a couple times a year, I guess, get to go measure the snowpack, and it's better now, which is really, really great. Yeah, well, if the guys from the water zone and the girl from the water zone can't get invited, we think we might self-invite. Yeah. Yeah. We could, do, we could do some, we can get on some cross-country skis. I, I, have, I have a snowboard I want to give away to somebody. Oh, well, you know why don't you make that as a prize for whoever can guess the well, next snowpack level right? Well it's, it's, well, it's not a new one. <clears throat> oh. Slight, okay. it's, it's slightly used. Is it like a skateboard, but, um, you know. No, it's like big. It's 60s? like. No, it's no, no, no. It's like about five, six feet long, and the feet portion things are. I don't snowboard. So the feet that you stick your feet into the. Yep. What do you call them? Bindings? The bindings. There you go. Are yeah. they regular or goofy? No, yeah. they're regular. You showed me what that was. It's regular. <laughs> they're regular. They're straight, not at the angle. Right well, on. I'm sure there's a lot of people up at Mammoth who would like to have it. I was there last week, and it got four feet of snow up there on wow. Wednesday night alone. My car looked like an igloo. Yes, that was your car in that picture? Yes, it was. Wow. It, Little tiny blue sliver of a, of a license plate to show that it was a car <laughs> under there. Yeah, it took a while to dig it out, but... Boy, the, the skiing and, you know, the boarding for the other folks was just really great. And, you know, I'm just, I'll, ever since this last drought, I will never be unhappy when there's any sort of precipitation again. We no. need <laughs> rain and water in the state of California. Absolutely. So always happy when it's snowing or raining here. Uh, Chris, do you ski? Uh, I do indeed. I snowboard as well. I do. I'm a knuckle dragger and I like the planks. <laughs> <laughs> Well, get on up there. It's, there's no conditions better than right now. Oh, that sounds cool. I, I've never done that. Never yeah, ice. I was born in New Jersey, never ice skated. Uh, I guess I had a, a sheltered life. Sheltered man. life. <laughs> <laughs> but I know I'm not crazy because yeah. my mom had me tested. Yes. <laughs> no, uh, just kidding. All right. So where are we at on the snowpack? I see. Yeah. I've seen percentages over a hundred percent. So what's the what's the latest data? Yeah, I think it's something like 115% of average as of Tuesday. So that's really good. And most of the reservoirs, mostly in Northern California, um, have been 
more than half replenished. Now, I, I know there's also some technicalities about how much water is in the snowpack, and I think that's a little bit less than normal. But um, moisture, moisture content, yeah. Yeah, 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 moisture content. But yeah, I mean, basically the headlines are Sierra snowpack is four times the size it was this time last year, so it's it's all good. Um, but I do understand that we're not going to get any more snow the rest of the month. That's right. We have a high-pressure area over mm-hmm. the west. That's right. And uh, it's actually quite warm in the western Sierra, like the areas east of Modesto and Fresno and so forth. So some of it might be melting, which is, you know, part of our conundrum with, uh, you know, weather change and climate change that, um, you know, our snowpack is going to melt earlier and we have to do our best to capture it and manage it. So... Just because we get the snow, that's we're not out of the woods. We we need to keep it up there, if possible. Sure. Hey, Chris, you're a, you're a music buff, right? I am. So did they when they came up with this atmospheric river? Did, is that where that that song "Crimea River"? <laughs> atmospheric river. I think so. You know, I'm I, I I'm not sure. That's not a Creedence song. I, uh, I don't know. It could be. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just thinking. Yeah. They, yeah, they said last week that one of the biggest rivers in the world was right over California, <laughs> in, the, in the sky, in the in the sky. It's, it's interesting, huh? That there's rivers yeah. in the sky. Well, you know the, that 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 term, I'm sure it's been around for a long, long time. But to the general public, I think that's kind of rather new. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is for sure. So. Yeah. So anything else? But even though even though we got all this snow, though, we have to continue being diligent about, you know, being prudent with our water resources because it's not only the availability, it's all the energy it takes to move it around, cleanse it. So we still need to be good stewards of our water. Um, well, the snow's the good as long as it, the snow's good as long as it's not as long as it's not yellow or brown, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's what everybody was texting me. Don't eat yellow snow. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, uh, it, it's yeah. great to have it. It's definitely better than being in a drought. Sure. But it doesn't mean that we can uh, slack off and start wasting water. No. Those days are gone. Absolutely. The new normal is to be good with water. Yep, got to be good stewards. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, Capturing, you, storing, transporting, and cleaning, that, that's, uh, that's, where the, that's where the real issue is. Yep. Yeah, because we use so much energy just moving it around, right. and then we put a lot of resources into cleansing it. So it's not just whether it's there or not. It's all the other resources that go into it that we need to be careful with. So, right. Well, you did a great interview that's coming up here in a few seconds with uh, – a lady named Dana Gunders, and uh, yeah. I, I know we're all anxious to hear our listeners to, to hear that. It was a very good interview, and uh, I think we're ready, so uh, I'll turn it over to you. So here we go. All right. Well, uh, Rob, um, our next guest is Dana Gunders with Principal. She's the principal with Next Course, and she's the woman who helped start the waste-free movement. And she has a lot of tips for us on how to prevent food waste, which also translates into preventing the waste of water, energy, and all the resources it takes to grow food. Right. So here's the interview. Okay. So we're going to turn this uh, show over to Ms. Inge Biscona, and she's our main host for our act shows. And Inge, take it away. Thank you, Rob. It's a pleasure to be here again on the Water Zone tonight, and uh, um, you know, which also becomes our Water Zone Ag podcast, so all of our listeners can listen to it again, or those who might have missed it can uh, catch up on it later on iTunes. And we really have an interesting guest tonight that I'm uh, really pleased was able to make herself available uh, for us. Um, 
She is Dana Gunders, and she is the principal with Next Course LLC. And we will be talking about the waste-free movement and the fact that, geez, nearly 40% of the food that's produced on our farms is wasted and ends up in the landfill, an astonishing statistic. So um, welcome to the show, Dana. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, let let me uh, give our listening audience a little bit more about your background before we dive into uh, chatting with you about this um, very interesting topic. Um, Dean, the woman who, st- who helped start the waste-free movement by Consumer Reports, Dana helps train, inspire, and strategize around food waste reduction via her business next course. Previously, she founded NRDC's initiative to reduce food waste, authored the Waste-Free Kitchen Handbook, and has testified in Congress, been an expert witness, and is behind the Save the Food campaign, which is a national media campaign that has generated over $70 million in donated media to date. That's just an amazing number. Her work on food waste has been featured by John Oliver, CNN, NPR, NBC, The New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Real Simple, Cooking Light, Dr. Oz, Consumer Reports, and hundreds of other outlets. She holds both a BS and MS from Stanford University in Earth Systems and Sustainable Business Practices. So what started this was that in 2012, Dana authored a landmark report called Wasted, How America is Losing Up to 40% of Its Food from Farm to Fork to Landfill. This sparked a national dialogue about reducing food waste. From there, she went on to found and lead the Natural Resource Defense Council's work on reducing food waste until early 2018 when she started Next Course. So when she's not worrying about it professionally, Dana says that she spends far too much time trying to get her small children to throw less food on the floor, which is a uh, <laughs> a noble pursuit, Dana. So Dana, tell, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey in the waste-free movement including your work at Fairtrade USA, which was um, part of your um, bio, and the Natural Resources Defense Council, and now Next Course. Sure. Um, happy to. And, again, thank you so much for um, having me today and for making some space to talk about this topic that I'm personally so passionate about. Um my journey on this topic uh, began, well, I, I began working in the food industry um, quite some time ago, and I, and I did for a while work at Fairtrade USA more on international um, food issues. But when I joined the Natural Resources Defense Council, NRDC, um, I was really brought there to work on more domestic agriculture issues, and I worked on a sustainable agriculture project with the fruit and vegetable industry. So I was trying to look at um, how do we how do we kind of create standard ways to evaluate water use, energy use, um, fertilizer, pesticide use, and other um, sustainability issues on farms. And I was put in charge of the waste group, which was mostly looking at um, kind of more physical waste, plastics, irrigation piping and the other waste that comes off farms. But as part of that, I started stumbling upon these numbers that I just found astounding. Uh, 40% of food was going to waste. And something like 25% of the water in this country was 
being used to grow food that was never eaten and all sorts of other um, enormous impacts. And I just went, wow, how is nobody talking about this? Here we are spending so much time trying to get people to, and, and farmers in particular, to be a little bit more efficient, you know, 5% more efficient with their water use, um, 10%, and yet almost half of the food that they're actually producing is not being eaten. And it really struck me as an efficiency problem, and I became nothing less than obsessed with the topic. <laughs> I really dived in quite a bit. <laughs> and um, ultimately, that led me to write a uh, to publish a report in 2012, um, the one that you mentioned called Wasted, uh, and it was all about how just not just that food was being wasted, but where was it happening at each point in the supply chain, and how much, um, you know, to the extent we knew, how much was happening at each point, and what could we do to fix it? Um, yeah, we uh, so yeah, we August. want to dig into that. <laughs> yeah, great. I would love to. That was August 23rd, 2012, and I like to say there must not have been much else going on in the world that day because CNN actually put this report on their breaking news headline. Wow. And, um, and, and there I was with, you know, no experience, um, and the next, you know, all the other news stations grabbed it, and I found myself on NBC Nightly News the next night um, talking about this topic. And wow. to be honest, it has been like drinking out of a fire hose ever since then. It's been tremendous just how much um, interest and attention and passion there is around trying to see less food go to waste in this country. Um, and it's been remarkable to see how much work has increased on it ever since. Yeah, well, it's uh, kudos to you for recognizing it when you were assigned to a project that that wasn't re- actually this, <laughs> and, and then it this became the project. Um, yeah, it is amazing that nobody's been talking about it, and it is so important. Um, I I learned about you through a um, YouTube video that the mayor of my city, Catherine Blakespear, of mayor of the city of Encinitas, posted on her Sunday morning newsletter, and. Um, it was called The Extraordinary Life and Times of a Strawberry. And it was surprisingly emotional. And I'd like you to, I think you're behind this uh, YouTube video. Tell us a little bit more about that project, and and then we'll dive into this entire farm-to-fork-to-landfill process in general. Sure. Well, that video, and I encourage anyone to uh, find it, any of your listeners to, to find it and watch it. It's just two minutes. Um was the debut of a larger campaign that um, we launched with in, in cooperation with the Ad Council called Save the Food. And um, the campaign was really meant to not just build awareness that, wow, there really is food going to waste, but also give people really specific strategies on how they can waste less food in their own lives. Uh, but when we were doing the research and development for the campaign, we found that part of um, part of the issue is that people don't realize that they waste food. And another part of the issue is people don't really realize how much goes into growing food and getting it to their tables. And so we chose for the, the big debut video for that campaign to tell the story of a strawberry um, from seed to uh, supermarket to someone's um, home 
And um, I won't entirely spoil the ending, but it does grab everyone in a in a way that um, that really sort of I, I think enlists people if they weren't already in really caring about your food and realizing just um, how much it takes to get food to our tables and and trying to respect it a little bit more. Yeah, I think I think that's the key. I mean, people may not know um, or and or they really don't care, but I think the more they know, the more they will care. So that's why this is so important to bring awareness, uh, help people realize how much goes into producing food, which is a lot of what we talk about on the show, the water zone, because we're talking about agricultural irrigation, all the other resources that go into producing a crop and how we can do that better. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's really focused on the production side. And this, of course, is focused on, hey, consumers, don't waste, you know, all of this hard-earned food that was produced. So, you know, in, in view of hunger in the world and all the resources, including water, that are required to produce food, where in your research has it been shown that the food is being wasted? I'm sure there's many touch points where um, this occurs. There absolutely are, and I'll preface this and any other numbers I I throw out there by saying that the data we have on this topic is very rudimentary, um, and it's a hard thing to get really good information on. So with that caveat, um, the best we can tell is that consumers, like you and I in our homes, um, uh, collectively actually waste more food than any other part of the supply chain. Um, so more than restaurants or farms or supermarkets. Um, wow. After consumers, uh, the, the food service and restaurant industry um, wastes, you know, the, the second most. Um, and from there it goes farms, supermarkets, and, and other parts of the supply chain. Um, so, it, you know, there really is great opportunity as individuals to make a difference on this issue, um, not only because we are the greatest source of how much food is going to waste, um, but also because food businesses, a lot of the waste that happens in our supermarkets, in our restaurants, is answering to consumer expectations. Um, so the challenge, for instance, that a supermarket faces in carrying, you know, the average supermarket carries about 50,000 different items. And they do that because we want to be able to walk in and get a pineapple, you know, any day of the year until 9 p.m. Um, and, and there's sort of an inherent challenge in carrying that type of inventory. But it's really answering to what we as consumers expect. And similarly, uh, restaurants, you know, there's, you know, a certain amount of spaghetti that we expect to get for ten dollars, um, and and they're serving large portions. They're carrying um, lots of menu items in order to give us choice, and it's those sorts of things that are often leading to a lot of the waste in their um, operations. So, um, whether it's directly or indirectly, I do think that we kind of as individuals and and collectively as society um, and the social norms that we have have quite a bit of influence. Yeah, I mean, people basically, their behavior and the power of the dollar, the purchasing power of the dollar can change everything, as as we know. So if consumers are wasting the most, that is the target. And then they, in turn, when when hopefully they change their behavior, can help the food service and the farms and the supermarkets do 
do the same too. What, what do you think is the easiest to change? What's the low-hanging fruit to solve this problem? Is it in our own kitchens or even even though most of the waste doesn't occur in grocery stores, is that an easier place to start rather than people's behavior, which is probably the hardest thing to change? Right. No, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It would be great to be able to kind of flip a wand and change people's behaviors in homes. <laughs> I do think that, you know, consumer behavior is not an easy thing to take on. Um and because it is more concentrated in other parts of the, you know, parts of the food system, those can be easier places to start. Um, food service, I think, is a is a good focus area, um, especially larger, like more institutional food service. So sure. your schools, college cafeterias, corporate cafeterias, things like that, um, because they're serving such large numbers of people, they tend to have quite a bit of um waste both both on people's plates but also back in the kitchen you know they're overproducing um you know they have an extra tray of mac and cheese or chicken parm or something that's sitting back there um and because they do have it at a certain volume it can make it worthwhile to find a way to donate that food or, um, you know, find other uses for it. That's a little bit harder when you look at smaller restaurants that um, just don't have quite the steady amount of surplus food happening. Yeah. And, and Dana, I will also a... say – oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, finish. Well, I was just going to say, you know, I mean, there's a few ways to look at this problem, um, and, and I like – to sort of think of it as a reduce, reuse, recycle for, you know, our plastic bottles, there's a similar kind of framework to think about it, um, which is that, you know, the highest and best kind of use is to eat food and to not, to, to try to not create extra food in the first place. But when we have it, um, the next best is to, to donate it or to try to find, share it, try to find someone to eat it. And, and then only after that should we be looking at things like composting or other more recycling-related solutions. Hey, Dana, do you have a poster boy for any of this? Because I want to volunteer. Because I can tell you when the grandkids are at the house and there's leftover food, I eat it all. <laughs> there's, there's, one, there's, there's one bad part to that. I become fat after that. <laughs> I, I, I try not to waste the food. In fact, when I go to, when I go to the restaurants when the kids were little, and you know you order them food, they never finish it. So I just I just stopped ordering a meal for me and just eat their leftovers when they're sitting there at the mm -hmm. table. Anyway, just joking about that. But you know, going back to what you said with the uh, the restaurants and things and and uh, grocery stores, there's there's always a discussion about the use by date and the expiration date. Because I know, I know food stores in some states there or in cities there, uh, govern that they have to donate the food. They don't just toss them away. But, but how do the, how do the people know, you know, is there a difference between the use by and the expiration date? And can you still eat it if it's past the date? Like, like I saw yogurt in my refrigerator that had an expiration date. My wife says, it's yogurt. Don't worry about it. Just eat it. <laughs> so mm -hmm. how, how does that, how does that all yeah. play into this? Yeah, that's a great question. It's definitely one of the key factors that's leading to waste in homes is that people are throwing food away um, somewhat prematurely um, and in part because they don't really understand those dates. Uh, so those dates are 
not meant to be about food safety, and they're not federally regulated, and they are really just a manufacturer's best guess at when a product is at its most fresh um, quality. So they are almost never, and I say almost there are a few exceptions, but um, for the vast majority of them, they're really meant to be about um, when you're going to experience that product at its best. And um, <clears throat> so especially with things like yogurt and any dairy products that are pasteurized, those are safe to eat for much, much longer. And in fact, um, there's kind of a, a, a core misunderstanding, which is that old old food makes you sick. So when you think about, when you hear about people getting sick from food, it's often from E. coli, salmonella, listeria. Um, those are pathogens that get on the food, usually um, before it's gotten to you at the, the farm and the processing plant. And um, they can actually make you sick whether or not the food is old. And they're mm. different bacteria than the bacteria that make your food decay. Um, that, that's kind of a natural process that it goes through. And so it, it's actually gone so far that there's a the president of the Institute of Food Technologists, which um, does a lot with food safety, said that in his 40 years there, he had never seen anyone get sick from food that's just too old. Wow. Um, Thank you. So I appreciate I that. Just now, now, now I don't worry about my wife trying to kill me. That's, yeah, that's, exactly. that's just amazing. I mean, I don't think anybody knows that. I think everybody thinks that that date means you've got to chuck it, and I think people do that, and that's just a huge misunderstanding in the in, in our in our food world. <laughs> it, it is a huge misunderstanding, and, you know, I think even people who ignore the dates or eat food past the dates still think the dates are telling them to throw the food out, right, even though they're not listening. Um, so I think there is there is a, a, a great misunderstanding. Um, there are some actually bills that have been presented to Congress um, to try to at least standardize the way these dates are done, because if that were accomplished, then we could go out to the world with, with very um, specific meanings for the phrases that you see. Um, and one of the challenges right now is that because there are really no um, federal regulations like governing the use of those dates, they, it's hard for me to say to you, you know, when you see Best Buy, it means this, or when you see Used Buy, it means this, because there's no really standard ways that those phrases are used. Yeah, and nobody really wants to stand up and shout that out because there's liability involved if you get it wrong. Um, but but I but I can tell you, I think most people think that 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 they get sick from old food, and you're saying that that's just really not the case. It's it, it had it had a pathogen on it or not, and that's what makes you sick. With this reason, you know, that's not we're, we're I guess a better way to say it is we are very well equipped to know when we should not eat food, right? So if something tastes bad or smells bad or it's slimy yeah. and kind of mm. turns us off. Don't eat that food. You know, that's not that's the kind of um, you know, it will not, it wouldn't make you sick in the same way salmonella might, but it's still not necessarily a good idea to eat it. Um, but if it looks fine, smells fine, tastes fine, and it's just past the date, then you're probably in pretty good shape. And if you have any sort of doubt um, with a product like, say, deli meat, then go ahead and cook it. Well, I know that you've I, written. Uh, go ahead, Rob. You had a question? Oh, no, just real quick. I, I, I know, I don't know if they still do this, but I know years ago, 
when I was growing up, uh, you go to the store and you see Wonder Bread, for example. I'm, not, I'm just using their name as a, as a name here. And after, you know, the, the Wonder Bread guy drives around to the, each of the stores and he puts in what, you know, replenishes, you know, the Kanban to fill up the thing. But then I also saw that they take the stuff out and then they have their own outlet store that they take what they don't sell at the big stores and bring it to the, you know, they may be, maybe it was sitting in the store for two, three weeks or four weeks, whatever that is number, I don't know. And then they bring it back to their, uh, their stores, outside stores, and people come in and buy them like a loaf of bread, which maybe is a buck and a half. They'll sell it for 70 cents or something like that. I don't even know if they still have those kind of things anymore because obviously they were doing that for a long time. Chris, have you seen anything like you that? You can still buy day-old bread and things like that, even in the stores, right? Oh. They discounted. Yeah, well, you know, I, I grew up I grew up near one of those bakery outlets too, so I know exactly what you mean. Um, yeah. You know, there are various uh, businesses that are doing that in one way or another. So, um, you know, out here in California, there at least in Northern California where I am, is there are, there's a company called Grocery Outlet, and they buy up a lot of those extra items, um, not so much the ones that are close to the end of their life, but more things that don't sell well or, you know, that are surplus for one reason or another. And that's a, a huge part of what they sell, and you get a great deal by shopping there. Um, in terms of, you know, products that's close to the end of its life, um, I think the best strategy is when stores market down in stores. So you have that day-old bread, you know, that day-old stuff that's in the bakery section. You have 50% off stickers that you'll see on, on products throughout a store. Um, I, I think that's cl- clearly one of the best strategies that they should be using for that product. Um, and I don't know how much you see the product kind of, coming back and then getting sold elsewhere, you know, at an outlet. I think that um, probably still exists in a few places here and there. Yeah, well, I think we're all have become more fickle consumers since what Rob was talking about, Wonder Bread, you know, back in the day. Um, and, you know, people probably think, oh, that's not good. It's day old. You know, we've become a little spoiled. So uh, unless you're on a budget, that's probably not getting – Take it up very quickly, but at least it's an outlet. It, it's probably part of the solution as you recommend things to institutions. But before we get to that, I know that you've written extensively on on this whole range of topics, and maybe you can share some of those publications and how they might be helpful to consumers or businesses in reducing food waste. Absolutely. Um, Probably the most um, applicable is a book that I wrote called The Waste-Free Kitchen Handbook. Um, And that book not only provides a bunch of strategies for wasting less food in your own life, um, but also has a whole reference section where you can look up 85 different products and and understand which parts are edible. You know, did you know that you can actually eat the green tops of strawberries, for instance, um, or the, you know, stock of broccoli or and things like that. Um, it also tells you if you have brown spots in your avocado, can you still eat it? And, you know, some of the common ways that things tend to age, is it safe and, and what to do and how you might still use the product. Um, so that's um, one of my big works, and it uh, put a lot into that. 
Um, and it even goes so far as telling you, you know, what you can and can't feed to your cat and your dog, in case you're wondering. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, and then the other um, major one was was the one you mentioned at the beginning called Wasted, um, which we actually in 2017 put out a second edition of with more updated numbers. And that really walks through this issue at at kind of the 30,000-foot level of, you know, overall, how much food is being wasted? And, and, you know, actually here we haven't really spoken about some of those those overarching numbers that about $218 billion worth of food actually goes to waste. And um, our best estimate is that it's using approximately uh, 20% of all of the fertilizer and water and lands that go into growing food um, that we eat in this country. And um, also that uh, food waste is actually one of the top um, issues around climate change. It has one of the biggest footprints. And, and globally, if if all the food that were wasted were a country on its own, it would actually rank third in terms of its greenhouse gas footprint after um, after the U.S. and China. And because this shows about water, I'll tell you that it um, it would rank number one as a country. So more water goes to growing food that's never eaten than is used by any country in the world. That is just amazing. That is just startling. Amazing. Well, I, yeah. well, 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 you opened with saying that 20% of our water is being used to grow food that goes to the landfill. I mean, that alone is astounding. We know that agriculture uses a lot of water to grow our food, and, and you're right. That's um, uh, one of the top generators of carbon and climate change issues, you know, probably behind maybe transportation or energy. But just by not wasting so much food, we could make a huge dent on on the planet. I don't know. Chris and Rob, did you know this stuff? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I'm just astounded by listening to this. Yeah, pretty pretty interesting. Well, um, how have people reacted to your reports, Dana? Have um, Has there been pushback because maybe somebody people want food to be wasted so they can sell more or is it being embraced and or I can also imagine the opposite that maybe some people um want to you know write some regulations around this to stop it yeah um you know i i have found tremendous support behind this issue from almost every angle um and i don't know if that's because you know it's pretty hard to stand up and say no we should be wasting more food. <laughs> yeah, um, everybody's going to say, yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so I don't know how much of it is just, you know, it's not a good thing to be against. Um, but I, and there have been some regulations, but it, it's a pretty challenging thing to regulate. Um, there's a, a congresswoman named Shelley Pingree out of Maine who uh, a few sessions of Congress ago uh, introduced a bill about food waste that was kind of like 27 different provisions, I think, of things that could be done. Um, a lot of it was funding different programs. A lot of it was looking at more compost and uh, and other sort of end-of-life solutions. But um, I think the most forward-looking policy that's been passed to date has been in California. And that is called SB 1383, and it was actually passed as part of a 
a short-lived climate pollutant bill. And um, it has a couple rules or or goals that it sets out, um, but they're statutory goals now. And one is that um, 90% of food waste will be a, not will not go to the landfill by 2025 and the other is that 20% of all the edible food in the state will be recovered for human consumption um and it's that it's that second piece that's uh, particularly precedent setting uh here in California because there's nowhere else in the country where anyone is required to donate food and so that law um, is really going to, I believe, change the face of what food donation looks like going forward. Well, tell us how your company Next Course works with companies and institutions. Like, who are you working with to um, to help tackle this problem? Yeah, so um, I started Next Course uh, a little less than a year ago. Gosh, there's been interest from all different angles, uh, to be honest. Um I've worked with tech companies like Google to look at this, you know, where do different technology products have the potential to um, help increase efficiency in the food system, for instance, and, and how can how can different tech companies and appliance companies play a role in helping people waste less food? Um, I've worked with smaller food companies just to look at how can they waste less in their production, how do we design products in a way that's going to help people, once once people get them home, help them use all of them. Because I believe strongly that if you buy a food product and you wind up throwing some of it out, then you're not you're not getting the best value out of it. So I think it's really in the interest of all of our food brands to have us using their food um, and using all of it and, and having really good experiences with it. Um, so, yeah, doing everything from looking at how food is produced and packaged and trying to advise on that to more systems-level stuff around, um, you know, how we improve and uh, as, at the policy level or at the systems level. Yeah, well, I bet um, I bet it's not a crowded space. There's probably not a lot of people that, that do that for people like Google, or are you finding lots of competition there? No, no, it's a pretty, it's a pretty niche expertise I've carved out for myself here. Yeah. So, I can imagine the, uh, the Google or the tech executives going, hmm, what, what sort of app or gadget can we create to, um, help people solve this problem? Like having, um, you're going to get an alert from your refrigerator saying that your yogurt, you know, is is nearing its um its prime. <laughs> I don't right. know. Right. No, exactly. No, there's lots of people working on apps like that and and that's another oh. thing I've been doing is advising, you know, startups and and then investors on, you know, which which ideas I think are going to really move the needle. Beautiful. Yeah. Very cool. Well, what could hey, Dana, what would you uh, Yeah, go ahead. Hey, this is this is Chris Dana. I'd like to ask a question because I you know I did a little research on on uh, on the website and I thought maybe some of the listeners would like to hear sort of quantifiable numbers if you if you'd care to share them or I have them right here uh, on my screen about you know what what the 
what the cost of that 40% of wasted food is, right? And I know that there's some that there's some research that's been done of how many billions of dollars that is and what greenhouse gas effects are involved and all that kind of stuff. Do you are you able to share some of those quantifiable uh, numbers with us? Yeah, sure. Um, well, uh, around the economy, about $218 billion worth of food is going to waste. For the average household, that boils down to about $1,800 a household per year, um, you know, which is, which is real money. And if you just think about it in your own lives, you know, I think one of the things about this is that people don't, um, it's really hard to see when you waste food. And we're so price sensitive when we're in the store. You know, 10 cents might sway us one way or another, but as soon as we get home, right. that mask is out the window. So that $10 a pound salmon, you know, after we cook it and don't eat a quarter of it, we don't sit there and go, oh, that was 250 right? <laughs> um, so, but I think if you sort of think in your own life about some of the things you buy and certainly some of the higher priced items you buy, um, you can see that it can add up. Um, in terms of other numbers, um, I can tell you that we as consumers waste about 10 times more food than someone in Southeast Asia, and about 50% more now than we did in the 1970s. Um, oh, that, one, you know, just, yeah. you know, those are just you know, stunning numbers. I'm reading another one here that says, uh, that says do, you know, you, when you consider what it takes to grow and cool, uh, transport, store, cook, and dispose of all that wasted food, right? You're talking about three times as much food as would be needed to feed about 42 million uh, people their total diet. That's just amazing. It is. It's, the, it's just such huge volume. Right. It's a whole and, different and angle last, on how how to yeah. on how to solve hunger, huh? <laughs> yeah, it does. Right. So so you're looking at you know the the land area the size of like you know New Mexico, right? I mean, is the is the total land that's the that's 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 misused that that is uh, used for wasted food. If you were to collect it all and put it all together, that's that's a huge amount of stuff. And as much water as Texas, Ohio, and California combined uh, would would use. I mean, when you look at it from that standpoint, it really puts a perspective on it that I think um, most of us can understand. I'm not trying to you know scare anyone. No, well, there's even more to that, wouldn't you say, Dana or Chris or Ingi? You know, a lot of families that have a large family say four or more, uh, and, you know, people try to be, I don't want to use the word frugal, but, but conservative shoppers. They go to the market and they buy the bulk pack of stuff. There's bulk, you know, ground turkey and vegetables and, you know, things like that. So they buy and then as they use what they, or take what they need, they got to keep repackaging these things. So now you have more waste of all the material that you're doing, especially if they wrap them in the plastics and things, and that's going to hurt the the, the uh uh, ground landfills and things of that sort. So there's more to the story than just the food end of it. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, and especially in those in those bulk purchase settings, um, you know, I think people don't think forward. You, know, you might be saving 20 cents a pound, but if you don't eat one of the five pounds that you bought, um, it may not be a good deal in the end. Right. Right. People People aren't doing the math that quickly. They're they want to get the bargain. You know, they want to get the deal. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes that's going to be wasted. Well, Dana, what would you say would would be like the top five things that we as consumers could do to reduce food waste? 
Yes. So many things. A lot of them can can be really easy. Um, so first, I think it's really important to be realistic when you're at the store. You know, shopping is where we commit to the food. And it, a lot of times we're very aspirational at the store. We think about <laughs> what we're going to well, we cook something new or eat great or feed our kids well. And uh, and then the reality hits and the week happens and we don't really follow through with that. So I think being realistic about the specific week ahead um, is a, a really key strategy, whatever that means for you. If you can plan your meals and have a shopping list, even better. Um, that's been shown to not only save time and have people eat healthier, but also save money um, and lead to less food waste. So those are great on the shopping side. Um, and I, and then, what, you know, once you get that food home, I I think our freezer, freezing food is a great strategy. Our freezers, in my opinion, are vastly underutilized, and we tend to think of them as, like, long-term strategy, <laughs> a long-term storage strategy. But really um, – I think freezing food, particularly leftovers, for just a few days can lead to it being used um, much more fully because oftentimes we get sick of leftovers or we don't, you know, sort of have the time or the right meal to eat them and they wind up going to waste. Um, it's actually the, the second most wasted food in our fridge is leftovers. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, freezers, a great way. And then... One other is to try to um, create, you know, a night of the week or periodic meals where you're really just trying to use up what you have um, best to do kind of before you go shopping. And uh, some people call it stir Fridays, you know, (laughs) Um, but can you do a stir fry or a frittata or a taco night where you just kind of use whatever you have left and um, use it up, shop your fridge before you shop the store. Those are excellent. Now that's what stews are made for, right? That's right. That's exactly. right. Do you remember the, uh, the the Moosewood Cookbook? I can't remember the name of the author, um, but she had a recipe in there that was totally what you just said. It was based on what was left in the refrigerator, and she made like a perfect protein salad, which is a fabulous salad. I love it. Um, but it was basically used what what was left in her fridge that day. <laughs> Well, when you have the big holiday meals like turkey and ham and things like that, I mean, my wife, we, you know, we make turkey salad, turkey sandwiches, then she takes the bones and makes turkey soup, you know, stuff. So, I mean, we use that. I mean, we try to, you know, but but you were, you were right earlier, Dana. I mean, you can't keep having the same thing for a week and a half, you know, every day you have the same thing. So so the short-term, the short-term freezing or cooking is a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, and there's so many foods that we can freeze that people don't realize. You know, you can freeze milk, you can freeze cheese. It's best if you shred it and then use it in cooking after. You can freeze eggs if you crack them out of their shell and scramble them but don't cook them. Um, bread is a great, especially fresh bread, is a great thing to freeze because it really preserves the quality. And, and that's the thing about the freezer is that um, it preserves nutrients better than our refrigerators do. So um, that is another great reason to really think about all the things you can freeze. I often freeze, like, the other half of the pasta sauce jar because I can't seem to use it up, you know, in time. Um, yep. So things like that as well. The bread, the bread seems to be the hardest. Like we'll, go, I'll, we'll go to the store and we'll buy, you know, they announce, hey, our fresh uh, baguettes are done and, you know, or 
French bread, and we go buy it, and we have it. We don't eat the whole thing because it's pretty big. But then when you put it back in the bag, and, 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 and like the next day, it's like hard as a rock. And unless you're going to make bread pudding out of it, you try to stick it in the freezer. But then it doesn't come out the same way. It doesn't taste like that fresh, hot bread with great butter on it. And, yeah. Well, then that's you grate it and use it for breadcrumbs, you know. You, you exactly. Gotta, yeah, that's a good idea. Now, that's now a great now idea. It becomes, now it becomes croutons. <laughs> that's what I do with it. <laughs> hey, uh, Dana, I know that uh, Inga's already asked you about what companies and institutions you work for, but in in, uh, in in your line of work there, are there any associations or events, trade shows, summits, and stuff like that associated with your industry? You know, there there have been occasional sort of food waste summit type of um type of event, but more generally, I think we're starting to see that almost any conference, you know, association event that is looking at sustainable food is often including programming about how can we, you know, waste less um, for whatever industry that may be. So, and and to me, that's a success because this is really – an issue that needs to be integrated into the rest of a business model or, or operations. And so kind of segmenting it out you know, from a business perspective doesn't really make sense. It's more about how do you find the efficiencies within your own business and within your um, sector. Yeah. Well, um, Dana, is there anything else that you'd like to add before we sign off on this segment of the Water Zone Ag podcast? And where, and where can people well, get a hold of you if they want to ask you questions? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Um, I can be found at nextcourse.co, so .co. Um, and last thoughts. I would say, you know, no matter how sustainably we grow our food, if we're not using it, it's a terrible, it's a terrible use of resources. And yeah, so, um, you know, finding ways, even if it takes a little more effort, to really make sure we're using our food is truly one of the lowest hanging fruit in this whole sustainability picture. So um, thank you so much for for chatting with me about it, and um, I'd be happy to answer your listeners' questions. Um, I'll just mention my website one more time, and that's www.nextcourse.co. Yeah, and I, I'd say everybody who's listening and and um, and and all of their friends and families ought to get this book, the Waste Free Kitchen Handbook. It sounds like there's just a ton of wonderful tips and resources in there. And for the wonks out there, um, maybe read the report Wasted: How America is Losing Up to 40% of Its Food from Farm to Fork to Landfill, which is kind of what started all this. Yeah, Dana, thank you so much for the work that you do and for the education you provided us today and our listening audience. I wish you luck, and um, let's keep in touch. Let us know how the Water Zone can help you uh, uh, communicate your message even further here down the road. Well, that sounds great, and and thanks again um, for the talk and the opportunity to share.